Welcome to the Power Play Podcast, where international cricketer Kyron Powell and marketing genius Jordan Shannon join forces, bringing you captivating conversations with the biggest players in cricket and business. Join us as we dive into the lives of current stars in the cricketing world, the legends before them, and those extraordinary icons whose performances changed the game in both cricket and business. Exploring journeys both on and off the pitch, the boardroom, and everything in between. Get ready for an exhilarating blend of cricket, life, and business insights with two insatiably passionate, infuriatingly no-holds-barred hosts who, unfortunately for the rest of us, live and breathe this stuff for a living. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 10 of the Power Play podcast. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Karen Powell. How are you, Kai? I'm good, John. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. It's uh, getting the Christmas spirit here at the minute. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all good, thank you very much. So I want to uh, get going with the series, with, well, the, the one-day series that just finished um, Sunday night with again, uh, with the West Indies versus England. And what was your take on it, really? Uh, good series. Obviously, two teams that, you know, young in the sense that, you know, two teams that are progressing and building towards the next um, Audio World Cup. Um, yeah. For England, it would be, I guess, a devastating blow having had um, a bad World Cup run and then trying to, I guess, restart the the ODI, the ODI leg of, um, well, the ODI format of things as, as a nation in the Caribbean in terms of building towards the next World Cup cycle. But for the West Indies, it was obviously a um, huge victory. First time from since 1998 that they've won an ODI series against England. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, you had lots of players stepping up, Captain Sheho being... Yeah. Um, Ford coming in on debut in that last match, having a good game, and you know you saw lots of um, glimpses from from um, a few players that you know that's that's sort of what West Indies cricket's looking for. You know, um, obviously they they showed faith in Athens and Casey Carty, and both had you know some contributions in the series, yeah. which are, which are good signs for um, West Indies cricket. So hopefully those two guys can obviously take heart from their performances as well and continue to grow, and then. I think that Gudakesh Morty goes sort of under the radar, but yeah, he's a very skilled bowler. His um, control of line and length, um, understanding when to do what against who has been extremely impressive to me. Looking at um, the West Indies bowling attack and, and sort of knowing that it's basically him and Alzari as as genuine strike force bowlers because O'Shane didn't play yeah. this last match as well, which um, puzzled me. But no, very, very... Good series, interesting series for two teams that are sort of, I guess, balanced level in terms of um, where they're at as as nations right now. So it was a good yeah. series. Yeah, I think you mentioned there a little bit of this transition period for both teams that's going to have to take place um, over a period of time. I was so impressed with, I think, the fact that England obviously posted that such a large total in the first in the first. Um, on the international, and then for the West Indies to go and chase that, and which obviously Shays and Ings was just superb. It, you know, he showed, as we've discussed many times on this podcast, he showed all three types of innings from a test match style to the one day style to then the aggressiveness at the, at the end. And it just goes to show that 
And like I said, we've discussed it many times. You are not just a white ball player or a red ball player. During the an innings like that, you have to show that you know resilience, the toughness, the mental toughness to go out and and start the innings. To then obviously get yourself going and to finish it in the way he did, I thought it was absolutely superb. I really, really did, and I think it sort of give the whole team that confidence to think, yeah, okay, England on paper and in previous um, years gone by have been a really, really tough team to beat, and they still are a tough team to beat. Don't get me wrong, but we've gone out there and not only um, chased, um, you know, a really, really big total. We've done it in in a fashion that that shows that we can match these lads. And I thought it made a real statement and it sort of set the the series off to the standard it, it sort of remained throughout the, the other two games as well. Yeah, no, I think um, it's interesting for me, um, the whole She-Hope situation, because I don't understand why um, people don't necessarily associate him or consider him to be like a great of one-day cricket yet. Because when mm. you look at his numbers, I mean, he's he's matched Viv Richards and Sir Viv Richards and, yeah. and Brad Coley in terms of joint amount equal innings to 5,000 ODI runs with only Baba Razam and um, Hashimama in front of them. Yeah. 16 ODI centuries. I think there are only maybe, if I'm not mistaken, maybe two people from the West Indies in front of him. And then you look at his counterparts at the same level. I mean, he's neck on neck. I mean, with, with the likes of a Baba Razam, who's yeah. sort of closest in terms of comparison to age and matches, runs, centuries, etc. And, you know, Baba Razam is obviously, after you come away from the Virats and all these other guys at, at the highest level of the game, and you're talking about guys that are performing now, it's it's sort of a Quinton de Kock, Shea Hope, um, Baba Razam yeah. type conversation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people are going to start having to understand that this is truly a generational type player that we are experiencing yeah. at the moment and understand that we are witnessing um, um, greatness here from Shea, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that the the impact he'll have on that side um, will be seen now for a long time because, of, like you said, he is a generational top-class player and, and you mentioned him with the, the, with the with all those top names, you've had Zamu, Quinton de Kocha, Amla, sorry, you mentioned there, I said with uh, Hashim Amla, um, was sorry, I lost my train of thought a little bit there. But do you think that that has a real positive impact on that young group of players because the because he is a, a, such a good player that he, he instills that confidence within that side? I think it's it, it should do, um, but I think it's not even just the fact that he's such a good player. I think it's just the way that he lives, like his his dedication right. to to fitness and and making sure that every single day he's doing what he can. To yeah. get the best out of himself um, from a physical standpoint in terms of his preparation, the way he eats, um, the the lifestyle he lives. You know, I've I've never seen him like out doing any like crazy partying or drinking anything like that. You know, yeah. so he's, he's fully dedicated and focused to being as as great as he possibly can and getting as much out of himself as he possibly can. And I mean, you look at the results because. Obviously, earlier in his career as well, there was sort of a stigma around his... his well, it wasn't a stigma. He was, he was um, a slow scorer in terms of he'd get runs, but they weren't they weren't quick enough for what the team needed. And, and the way one-day cricket and the way cricket on a whole was sort of shifting towards faster scoring rates. Yeah. But now you see over the past year, year and a half, um, his, his scoring rate has increased drastically um, to the point where he was a leading run scorer in the CPL 
this season. Um, he's back yeah. in the West Indies T20 team as vice captain. Yeah. Um, the series starting this evening. So again, as I said, it's just it's constant work on himself as a cricketer, nonstop. Whether that's on the field, um, in the nets, you know, just always looking for little one percenters, and that's all it really is. You know, it's it's never really the big things. It's it's more so being able to stay disciplined without supervision that that's going to get you to that level as opposed to anyone can do the right thing when there's coaches there when there's a proper system when there's proper infrastructure around you but being able to not only do the right things when there isn't that in place when you're at home on your own but to do it for long periods of time as well which she has shown and i think that if he can sort of i mean he's going to have to have sort of a firm hand about it in terms of being the leader of the team as well because he's not just the best player but he's also the captain so yeah in terms of driving standards and, and what he wants and what he expects and look if you're not living up to that um, I'm sorry but you're gonna have to you're gonna have to go because this is what this team and this region and, and the culture the cultural shift that needs to happen this is what needs to be done to ensure that that you know the West Indies get to where they want to get to yeah no, it's some really good points there, definitely. How do you see the, the T20 series going that starts tonight? Oh, it's interesting um, because West Indies, I mean, as usual, it's it's lots of firepower in the back. Yeah. So it's, it's not going to be a situation where you find batters hanging about because there's yeah. someone else there that can go at 150, 170, whatever the case is. Yeah. Um, from a bowling standpoint, that's where it's going to be interesting. Um, West Indies have brought back, I guess, Andrew Russell is back for the series. Yeah. Um, hasn't played for a few years. Um, I don't know what to expect from from that selection, if I'm going to be totally honest. Um, but obviously someone that's experienced in, ta- in, 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 in relations to playing leagues around the world, etc. Um, you've got, I guess, Jason Holder coming back in and... Akil Hussein coming back in as well, who's been on a high yeah. old in Abu Dhabi T10. Yeah. So I think that from the West Indies standpoint, it's it's going to be another testing um, series for them because yeah. England, all all told, this isn't the, the best or strongest T20 squad out in the Caribbean at the moment. They're sort of exploring their depth yeah. because the World Cup is in the Caribbean and the USA in six months time which is crazy to think about that we, we literally just finished um 50 over World Cup and the next yeah. World Cup rode upon us again um so it's it's an explorational period for both teams um to see where they're at to see what they need to see i guess if who they have at the moment will be in the reckoning and if if not how quickly do they move on and give other people exposure at the international level because six months is very short time, you know, in in three weeks time, yeah. it's basically New Year and then we're racing towards that that um T twenty World Cup again. So from an England standpoint, pretty much know what they want. I mean, just I don't think it's a matter of win or lose for them this T twenty series, more so than exploring new options, yeah. as I said, yeah. because it's not it's not their strongest theme. Um they would like to win, obviously not having much success in the limited overs versions of things yeah. of recent times. Um, so to build um, morale amongst the group and, and to try and get guys back in a good space, it would be great for them to win. Um, but 
I don't necessarily see it as a be-all, end-all from an England standpoint. No, I think it's quite important for England to start to gather a bit of positive momentum, though, in terms of from performances. Um, I think it's quite important to see Joss Butler trying, um, you know, get some momentum from a performance perspective ahead of that T20 sort of World Cup because I think he's going to be, you know, he has been heavily criticised over his captaincy, but let's not, you know, follow the sorry go around the fact that he's a, he's still arguably top five white ball players in world cricket from a batting perspective. He, you know, the ability to go up to play 360 the way he does and how destructive he can be. I think it's quite important to, to for England to get Joss Butler firing, you know, f- you know, for the World Cup. He's just he's gonna play such an important role. No, hundred percent. Josh Joss Butler um on his best day, we know what he can do and what he yeah. has done for a long period of time. Yeah. Uh, so it's for him it's it's not a matter of I would say personally, not a matter of getting him for him, but just getting getting his confidence back. Yeah. And I think I think as much as playing cricket people think that may be the way forward. I think it might actually be for him to take a break from cricket and take a step back or maybe not even necessarily take a break from cricket, but just go away from the England setup for a bit, you know, go and play in a different franchise league yeah. or something where there's not yeah, yeah. obviously the, the same scrutiny, all the same eyeballs on you and just have that freedom where, you know, it's it's not everything revolved around you as the captain and the and the leading player. And sort of refresh and come back because Come come the summer, it's a long way away from now. So a player's form now doesn't necessarily count towards anything going into a World Cup. You know, you can have players that in they're in dismal form at the moment and by the time the World Cup comes around, I mean if you look at this World Cup that just went in the build up to it, Glenn Maxwell had a broken foot. Yeah. So there was there was no talk of us seeing any of these yeah. heroics that we did on the cards, you know, but look at his performances in the tournament, you know, so I mean, players players will be in and out of form, but he's he's not he's not like a you know new new kid on the block or anything. No. He's an experienced campaigner, no. um, lots of experience, and, and he'll be fine. Yeah, it's such a good point that you make there that sometimes uh, when it comes to form and, and things, the automatic responses for them to go and play more cricket, go you know go and hit more balls, go and do this and go and do that, and you know play with freedom or that. What the point you made there about someone taking time away from the game is really sort of quite an impactful thing to say because as a cricketer yourself, like I said, from from the press perspective, like England over here, if Joss was to turn around and say, you know what, I'm going to go and play, I'm going to go and finish um, the BBL, you know, play the last six games in the BBL, for instance, or I'm going to go and do this. That over here, in my opinion, would be perceived as being... Uh, a money orientated thing to do, for instance, or, uh, you know, he, him, him taking away from England because of the pressures or something. And people probably don't think, um, sort of think about the actual mental aspect of just taking his part in way with England for a little bit. Like I said, taking his mind away from England, focusing on, on, you know, himself for a little bit. I don't think the press and people in England pick up, pick up on the importance of that really. And it's such a good point you make. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about players' mental health and all these things that are, that are thrown about in in this day and age. Um, you look at you look at a cricketer's life. Um, you're, you're on tour, whether it's with your country or through a franchise league. At least, at the yeah. very least, six months a year. 
more often than not, you're talking about 10 to 11 months out of the year. Uh, and so it becomes it becomes draining over time because this is someone that's been playing for England for over 10 years. So you're talking about 10 months a year on tour for 10 years. Yeah. You literally, you, you have no time to yourself, no time to be um, a partner. You have no time to be a friend to your friends. You have no time to be a father to your kids. You know, um, credit, credit goes out to... All the people that marry cricketers, Emma's just in the background laughing. <laughs> like, you, when, when you think about tour life, honestly, it's literally, it's it's sort of unfair because like you go, you go to practice. Um, practice may last for a few hours, whatever the case is. Um, you come back, you've got to do rehab and all these other things. Yeah. Um, something that guys are absolutely in love with is golf. Um, so guys go and then play golf after that. And then you still have to find time for your wife. You still have to find time for the guys with kids um, to go and spend time with it. Because at the end of the day, you're still, first and foremost, a husband and a father for the guys that have kids. Yeah. Um, and you have to sort of know how to balance your life. So then people don't care about that. The media don't care about all of these no. other things. They literally only see what you do on the field, whether... Yeah. And and it's so simple-minded to just see, oh, this guy's scored runs, or oh, this guy's out of form, he hasn't scored runs for yeah. whatever period of time, when there's so much more aspects to... And, and again, these are people that should know this, because if you have, for example, the media start going into someone that's not an athlete, just going into their job every day and just videoing them all day at work, yeah, yeah. They, they'll understand the pressures of, oh my God, this camera's on me. Eight to four every single day I get here. Even when I'm eating lunch, yeah. they're trying to get a peek at me. When I get home, they're outside of my gate. So you know, there's a lot of other things that that need to be factored in, and then you sort of understand the pressures of of being an athlete, and that doesn't even include traveling. You know, which is again time consuming, going from hotel to hotel, taxis, buses, planes, all these other things. Yeah, I think with the just butter thing as well, is it coming? you know, leaving India in the way that England did is constantly going to be on his mind. You start to probably not necessarily doubt yourself as a, as a player, but you might be doubting himself as a captain. I mean, could, could I have done this differently? Could I have done that differently? And then all of a sudden you're then thrown into this ODI series in, you know, against the West Indies and you're still at the back of your mind a little bit. And you've got a new group of players that you're now working with and stuff. And I think sometimes that, like you said, that break will have such a positive impact on on the, the on not just him, but also the team in the fact that they might feel like they get that captain back. You know, he might have that, you know, bit more of a spring in his step or, you know, from a, like I said, from a mental health perspective, he's just in the, a lot brighter, a lot more chirpy because he's had that time away. He's, he's, he's recharged the batteries and such. So, you know, it's something that England needs to probably look at a little bit to make sure that ahead of the World Cup that, the key players, not necessarily the key players, all the players are at that peak performance at the right time. Um, you know, so hopefully just, that's something to keep an eye on. I honestly don't think he should have been on this tour. I don't think no. he should have been in near one day cricket for an extended period of time because England's next major assignment, I guess, is the Champions Trophy in 2025, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, and so they could have at least given him until the English summer to sort of stay away from one day cricket you know, get your bearings back, 
let's start getting our best T20 team together. I mean, just giving him the rest of the year off and then as they did with the build-up for the 2019 World Cup, let's get our best T20 team together for every series from the start of the English summer going in. It's going to be our best players. And then obviously guys will go off to IPL and stuff and then come back prime and ready for yeah. the T20 World Cup is the yeah. approach that I have taken. Because now he could have been, as I said, somewhere on on holiday, um, just sort of completely decompressing, yeah. getting all that, just have a mental dump and just relax and spend Christmas with his family. No, definitely. I just want to sort of touch a little bit on the uh, test series between uh, Bangladesh and New Zealand. Um, and, you know, with Bangladesh winning the first test and then New Zealand um, winning the second test uh, and looking at the sort of analysis of the game, the sort of sheer volume of spin that was bold in the, in the, um, in, in the both test matches so far. As a batter, how how different is it to sort of spa- uh, sorry to, to face that continued sort of spin after spin after spin rather than sort of what you see as an opener to you know you might have twenty overs of, 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 of pace and then one end might be spinning and sort of the varied amount. How how does it how does your mind sort of work when you've constantly got spin on? Well, I mean you you prepared for it going into the series because you know the way that Bangladesh want to play their cricket. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, I mean, if that's what this is, their home advantage will, I mean, fair play to them. Fair play to them, yeah. But it's, not, it's not really, I mean, good good cricket. I mean, when you see sort of some of the best players in the world, like, struggling to not even get a single, like, struggling to survive, like, because the pitches out there are so drastically different than, I guess, most other places in yeah. Asia where, like you find the new ball, like it, it slides on, it spins, it keeps slow, it pops, like it, it's literally like a minefield. Like um, you're walking on a on a beach in Guantanamo Bay trying to get to the base for safety, <laughs> and <laughs> you just explosives until one just starts of hits you, and then boom, you're gone. Yeah, um, so it's a tricky, touchy situation. And trust me, I've I've been to Bangladesh a number of times. I've been there when. The pitches have been beautiful for batting. I've been there when it's been nightmares and you, you just know, like, try and get as much as you can while you can because, like, it's, yeah. you know, and, I mean, the scores the scores in, in, in the games re- reflect sort of that because, I mean, you look at Glenn Phillips's performance in that second test match, that 80 would be worth probably 150 on, yeah. on a better pitch. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's how Bangladesh see that they have a chance to win test matches, and ultimately, it's a World Test Championship. And yeah, that's yeah, yeah. It doesn't necessarily matter what we like to see as as yeah. game. They have to try and find a way that they can get as many points as possible as a nation. And so, yeah. this is this is their, I guess their their advantage and fair play to them for doing that because when they go overseas and they get green seamers and that's again foreign to them. Yeah. It goes in the other team's favour. So they're doing yeah. what they can sort of give themselves a chance. I know you mentioned uh Phillips's eighty one, but I thought Kane Williams's hundred in the first test was just just magnificent. It really, really was. I think, you know, it's one of them that people keep mentioning at times. It's it's, it's you know, Barbara's arm and Steve Smith and Rue and but that he for me is just 
such a beautiful player to watch. I have the hierarchy, and I think that he's the second best test batsman of the of the current lot. Obviously, Steve Smith is not from this planet in terms of test match cricket. And then you can you can pick between Virat and and Jeru, or yeah. sort of Jeru for. Um, but we've we've been robbed of a lot of Kane Williamson because of injuries, etc. And, and yeah, um, like all the other three have gone past the hundred test already. He's still at ninety five or ninety six or something like that, and he's got twenty nine centuries on par. And the last four test matches he played before this one. He's scored a century in each of them as well. And then you look at even his performances in the World Cup Cup. Like he yeah. probably wasn't even supposed to be at the World Cup after that injury he got in the IPL. Yeah. Came right in and scored, I think, 70 something and then got his finger broken. Sat out a few games at the World Cup, came back in, scored 90 something. Nice. Yeah. Indeed. Probably a half fractured finger. So, you know, it's just very high quality player across formats and, and, He's someone that I guess truly reflects what I say in you're a cricketer, not uh, a white ball player. Yeah, right. yeah, because you don't associate Kane with any type of power hitting or anything. And Kane has been playing in the IPL for years upon years. He's been yeah. again outstanding in Test cricket, outstanding in One Day cricket. So, you know, kudos to Kane and like that that New Zealand system for being able to. I guess manufacture and, and find and keep talent in a country that's predominantly rugby oriented. Yeah. Yeah. No. I th- I th- no. He's, he's he's a terrific player. And he's he's so good to watch on the eye. He's such a classy a classy batter. Um, the first test of the Australian summer starts um, on the fourteenth, which will be thirty nine hours yeah. here. Um, I read a, I read an article today and I, I haven't checked it, so I might be completely wrong. But I don't think Pakistan have won a Test match in Australia since 1995, and I couldn't believe it. And I, I read it and I was like, I'm not sure about that. And I googled it and I couldn't really seem to get to the bottom of it. But do you think this Pakistan side have got enough firepower with both bat and ball to really push Australia? I think Pakistan always have firepower with the ball. That's never really an issue for them. I mean, obviously they're missing Harris Ralph and Nazim Shah. Yeah. It would have been ideal for them. Um, but Pakistan's bowling and, and bowling in Pakistan, whether it be at the domestic level, at the T20 franchise level, has always been amazing. Look, you can, after every PSL season, they pluck a new a new quick bowler out yeah. of nowhere. You know, a new spinner out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, I guess the difference is adjusting to Australian wickets um, because of the extra pace and bounce in, in most parts of Australia compared to other places around the world. Yeah. Um, I think I think the interesting thing will be sort of Pakistan's batting because what tends to happen in test cricket is, for example, if Australia bat for a day and a half, which is standard for test cricket, but then Pakistan's batting falters within a day, yeah. then their bowlers, their bowlers don't get the same amount of time to rest yeah. as the Australian bowlers do. So then they, they're back in the field tired and then the Australian batters can sort of grind away at them again. And then their bowlers are having ultimate rest down because they, they bowl probably 70, 60% of the overs that the other team bowls um, for a match. Yeah. So you, you're able to have sustained lengths of attacking periods 
um, from the Australian standpoint, as opposed to touring teams. Yeah. So I think that's going to be Pakistan's biggest thing, whether they can bat and bat well, especially in the first innings. I mean, in the second innings, it's generally too late um, to, to try and sort of pull back um, in, in test cricket in general. Not saying that it doesn't happen. Of course it does. But you, you want to sort of set up the game and, and sort of be on the front foot or be at least even par yeah. with Australia for that first innings, giving yourself a fighting chance on, on deteriorating pitches. So I yeah. think that would be Pakistan's biggest challenge here. Obviously, with a new captain as well yeah. in, in Masood. Um, scored a double century in the practice match. Yeah, I've seen that, yeah. So, yeah, he's going to be going into the match flying. Um, again, big adjustment coming from Canberra on a flat pitch, which is sort of M25 um, straight lines, <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to going, going to the WACA, which is a five-hour flight across country or something like that. Yeah. zone change, um, pitch, speed of light over in over in the um, West country. Um, yeah. So those little adjustments uh, are going to be key. And Australia are going to be ready because they haven't played Test cricket for... Um, a while after that World Test Championship um, victory, and they're going to want to show why they're World Test champions. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm really intrigued to see the battles. I know that Marnus Labuschagne struggles. Well, I say struggles, he definitely doesn't struggle, but he has his issues against left arm pace. So I think that'll be an interesting battle with Shane Shah Hafridi. Um, But, you know, reading about Marnus and how meticulous he is against certain issues he has, I think that undoubtedly he would have face numerous amounts of bowlers and in the machine with this left arm, you know, bringing the ball back into him. So I think that's going to be an intriguing battle. Um, and I think that, you know, will David Warner get the fairy tale sort of uh, finishes to his, you know, to his career really? Well, Manus, Manus is an interesting one because I remember the first time I saw Manus when um, Steve Smith got hit by Jofra in the ashes. Yeah. Was it? Well, he, he had played before that, but obviously I hadn't taken any note of him. He wasn't sort of like a regular or anything. And then the next time he saw Manus, like he, he just became a Superman or Batman of Gotham City or something like that. Yeah. He'd be saving the world. Like he's just exploded. And his his record in Australia is Brian. second to, well, I can't say second to none. It's a second to two, which is Bradman and Steve Smith. Um, he <laughs> absolutely... Like he loves batting in Australia. Yeah. His numbers in Australia are astronomical. So whatever weaknesses or deficiencies he has, sorts of I guess they diminish when he's when he's playing in Australia as opposed to outside of Australia. Um so it's it's important that they not only get him in early against a newer ball, but they get him out early as well yeah. because when yeah. he gets in Australia he goes and he goes and he, he goes, goes and Yep. Um, and on to the David Warner point, I mean, it's it's been an interesting build-up for yeah. him because it's it's someone that, I guess, unfortunately, I guess, incidents he had in his youth sort of affects the way that he's perceived, um, not just in Australia, but um, throughout the cricketing world because yeah. it's someone, if we're, if we're going to be totally honest, that is... If not the best, he's definitely top three best opening batsman that the game of cricket has ever seen. Full stop across 
formats. I mean, he's got over 20 one-day and test centuries. He's got T20 centuries, amazing fielder, um, bowls a bit of media pace and leg spin. Not sure that gives him any extra points. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, definitely a, a proper, proper cricketer, and the world of cricket will be a sadder place, a poorer place um, after after these first three games, if he gets through the first three games. But, I mean, for someone of, of that calibre, and I guess for a situation like him and his ex-teammate, well, he, he didn't yeah. really engage too much, but like something like what's been happening with Mitchell Johnson and yeah. him, who would have played alongside him for, for a long time. And I think Mitchell Johnson actually got taken off of commentary for the series or something. Oh, really? I read that yesterday, I think. Um, so, I mean, it's it's gotten to those lengths, which is unfortunate because you never want to see those things. And, no. you know, those should never play out in a public forum anyway. Like, no. You, you t- no. Ex-teammates, you know, if you can have a phone call. Like, you guys don't really, really have to talk again in life. It doesn't really matter. You don't live. No. You don't live together. You're not playing together anymore anyway. So, no. say what you have to say to each other and just move on. But um, from, from a David Warner standpoint, I'm not sure that anyone in life deserves anything. We, we all get, I guess, sort of what we work for yeah. um, based on the hand that we played in life. And he's he's definitely he's, he's definitely worked for at least the ability to have the opportunity to have something like this happen. What whatever happens now is is up to him. The ball's in in his court because. He's been selected for the first test match and it's up to him to go and perform and, and get to that Sydney test match that he wants to be his farewell test. Um, and if he does, so kudos to him because, I mean, looking at the career he's had, it's it's one of the best that we've ever seen from yeah. a batter that started as a T20 player, you know. Yeah, definitely. I just think with the Mitchell, com- uh, sorry, the Mitchell Johnson comments were just a little bit like, a, I don't know how to say it, a bit like, I want to try and stay irrelevant in this sort of situation thing. And it was just a bit of a disrespectful thing. I think that, you know, as, as you probably know, you've played with numerous players and you might not always get on with, with them and you might not be best mates with them, but ultimately you've got, you've got respect for your teammates because they've been there on the, you know, playing with you and they've had your back and, and so on and so forth. And there's got to be an element of respect throughout that. And I just don't think those remarks were necessary. Like you said, if you did have an issue with him, you know, you just pick up the phone or you question, you know, you, you do it in a respectful manner, to be honest with you. And I just think it's a little bit of a shame and it's sort of, um, you know, the whole Australian community and world cricket needs should be behind David Warner and, and hope that, you know, he goes out in the way he deserves to go out because, you know, yes, he made some mistakes like you like you mentioned, but you know, he served his time. You know, he held his hands up, um, and he's come back a you know a much better person, I would imagine, and a much better um, person for the changing room and the environment and for cricket Australia. So, we, the, the 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 country of Australia and, and these pundits and the people who are making comments have got to understand that you know mistakes do happen, but ultimately, like you've got to you know move on a little bit and 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 support him and hopefully that he does go and like I said he's, he's in the first test so he goes and gets that dream finish in, in Sydney yeah and as as you said um Johnson I guess could have dealt with it better because he said he sort of he, he lashed out based on a nasty text or something he had gotten from from Warner probably in the week before or, or the week of yeah um but 
he could have responded in a text message or just picked up the call and, and picked up yeah. the phone and just called him and said whatever he had to say. But yeah. unfortunately, it's played out this way. So, no. I mean, hopefully that's the end of that and, and we move forward. Johnson sorts of gets reinstated into commentary. Warner has um, the farewell he wants and, and the world keeps spinning and, and, and this stuff stops. No, definitely. And just, like I said, it's... It, there's different ways of, of handling stuff and, and and that's that and that's life I suppose at the end of the day I just I just think it's going to be a really good series I think that I do think Pakistan are possibly missing a, a right arm off spin option potentially with Australia's three of the Australia top five being left handers I think that that might be a little bit of a you know something that they might miss a little bit and I think you know you've been a left hander yourself it, you know someone having that right hand off spin option it might just play a little bit of a part, really. Are you big on this matchups thing? Yeah. Really? You're yeah. a big believer in that? I, so, a little bit, yeah. So what happened to cricket pre-T20 and all these matchups? I don't I won't say my key thing on matchups, but I just like to... I don't know. I, I look at that and I think about the top... I, I look at that lineup for Australia and I think that that is what I'd like to... I'd like to pick a top right-hand off spinner against them. Interesting. I, I'm I'm not necessarily big on it. Look, I think bowlers, like good bowlers, will find a way to get wickets. Um, yeah, I get that. I get that. 100% understand the concept of someone having, I guess, less control of a ball going away from them than coming back into them because there's more chance of um, outside edge, etc. Yeah, uh, but. I don't know. I just, I just, it's like, for example, telling a seamer only to bowl out swingers to left handers or right handers, whatever it is, you know. So, so do you not see that like a left arm, like a left arm quick bringing it back in? Like we mentioned there with Manus and Shaheen Shadafi, do you not see that as a battle or do you see that as a, you should be able to do that anyway, sort of thing? I think every ball's a battle in international cricket. Yeah. No, I I get you wrong. And, and you're talking about the best of the best on either yeah. side. I mean, you'd be you'd be surprised to see that a leg spinner gets maybe right handers out more. I mean, sorry, left handers out more than he does sort of get right handers out. I mean, Gurukesh Morty sort of alluded to it before the last audio there that he prefers actually bowling to left handers because they do try to take him on a bit more. And so he gets left-handers out a bit more than right-handers who are, who are obviously more cautious. Yeah. And he has to work harder to to get those wickets. Right. No. Fair enough. Well, that, you, put it, you put it right on my toes then, anyway, asking that. <laughs> so thank you very much for all joining us tonight. Um, Kai, thanks so much. Extremely insightful as always. Um, I can't believe this is episode 10. It's flown by and we've got plenty more planned. Some exciting guests hopefully in the pipeline. Um, so please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and also keep tuning in on Spotify and YouTube plus any other platforms that are out there. So thank you very much and stay tuned. Thank you for joining us on the Power Play podcast hosted by Kyron Powell and Jordan Shannon. We hope you enjoyed this immersive dive into the world of cricket and business exploring the unique experiences and perspectives of players past and present, alongside those invaluable insights into intriguing business themes that transcend beyond the boundaries of sporting heroics. Be sure to set your reminders on your Alexa or Google Home device.
Or we won't tell anyone if you still use those paper calendar things from a bygone era. Join us next time for more inspiring dialogue with scintillating minds on the Power Play Podcast.